Our topic today is the first two prakim of Hosea, in which the prophet is famous for marrying a, uh, an inappropriate woman and then bearing a daughter and two sons. As I will show, the nivuah about the daughter, the sons, and, and even the nivuah about the wife is a mashal for the lar- as a parable for the larger status of the Jewish people and their relationship with God in the time of Hosea. Let me begin with two words of historical introduction. I promise not more than two words. Uh, and then I want to attack the, uh, the parak uh, in, inside. I'm, gonna, I'm going to be speaking from the sheets. Uh, so unless you have a Tanakh, please make sure you have some handouts. Hosea prophecies um, in the period, in the middle of the 8th century, to the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. His nevuot, by and large, do not relate to Mahfut Yehudah. They don't relate to the southern kingdom, but only to the northern kingdom. And they are speaking um, to Israel at a time of, of relative military success for the Kingdom of Israel. Let me briefly outline the history of Israel, the Kingdom of Israel, the end of the uh, the beginning of the eighth century, and then I'll move immediately into the text. Um, in the period between 841, roughly 841 BCE and 800 BCE. The Kingdom of Israel is greatly weakened by the attacks from Aram. Aram basically takes control of the Kingdom of Israel, as we see in the, in the, in the sources of Tanakh. It speaks about the King of Israel having only a couple of horses left after the Aramean onslaught. In the year 800 BCE, the Assyrians, and I realize that it's complicated, but the Assyrians are a different country than Aram. The Assyrians are people coming from what's today northern Iraq. In the year 800 BCE, the Assyrians take control of Aram and dismantle the state of Aram. Essentially, Israel is left in a vacuum, and Israel expands into the vacuum previously occupied by by Aram. Thus, we get academic articles with titles like uh, Jeroboam II's Empire, the Empire of Yeruvam Hasheni, Yeruvam Ben Yoash, was the king of Israel at the beginning of the 8th century. It's in this context that Hosea prophecy. So again, he's speaking in the period of Yeruvam ben Yoash ben Yisrael, as you see from Pasuk Aleph. This is the context in which he's speaking. Speaking in a period of great, of great military success, military success carrying with it uh, control of trade routes, the trade routes that lead from Israel through Hazor to Damascus and out to Mesopotamia. Control of trade routes equals wealth control the trade routes, you tax the people on the roads, that's how a kingdom generates wealth. And this is the period of Hosea, this is the period in which he's speaking. All right. Nevertheless, despite the, uh, the military success and economic wealth, Hosea perceives and identifies a problem in the kingdom. We'll begin with Pasuk Bet, Hashem Hashem Hosea is told here, Lech Kachlecha Eshet Nunim, V'yaldez Nunim, Take a wife who is a prostitute and then bear children of prostitution. Why? What is the mashal of the wife and the and the children? Look at the beginning of Pasuk Bet. And I'm waiting for someone to say the wrong answer. Because I want to use it educationally. What is the why does what is the mashal of the wife and the and the children? In Pasuk Bet. It's, it's a, a parallel to the Ah, okay. So, thank you very much. That was exactly what I wanted you to say. Uh, don't take it personally. But, I'm sorry, you are? I have a point. Okay, so the gentleman spoke about how 
this is a powerful relationship between God and the people of Israel. Now look at the Pasuk. What does the Pasuk say? Right, Haaretz. It's a relationship for the, it's parallel for the relationship between the land and God. The issue of the land in this chapter of Hosea is paramount. The land occupies a central part of the prophecy, and at the very end you will see that the marriage takes place between God, in a certain sense, between God and the land. There is a remarriage of God to the land. The land of Israel and its relation and its relationship to the people of Israel is intimately connected here to uh, the relationship of the people to God. The land is the vehicle through which God has the relationship with the people, and it's the land that is said here to have uh, to have acted as a prostitute. Of course, the idea of acting as a prostitute is used throughout Nevi- throughout Nevoah, what we find in Hosea, and then picked up in Yirmiyahu for the land being disloyal to God. Right, the, the land, and to some extent the people, have, and we see later, have been disloyal to God. In what constitutes their disloyalty? How have they been disloyal? Those are issues that begin to be exposed in this chapter, um, and are exposed in further detail in Perak Bet. Let's continue. What is the name of the son in Pasuk Dalen, and how does that relate to the idea of disloyalty? So, the son is, right, the son is Israel, I'm really speaking from the text, please make sure you have a hand up. The son is Israel, and the promise is, Ufakati etumei Yisrael al Beit Yehu, v'ishbati mamlachut Beit Yisrael. I will visit or remember the blood of Israel on the house of Yehu. What is the blood of Israel? Can anyone identify an event in Tanakh or a reason a place in Tanakh which we can see as the blood of Israel. What is the blood of Israel? Who can think through, say, from Malachim, what is Israel? Okay, so the story of Israel really begins with Nabot. And let's go through a little bit the, the geography and uh, the site of Nabot. This chapter really needs to be understood, as you see from the beginning, from the Pasuk that speaks about the Aretz, as a chapter in geography. And if you don't know what Israel is, you're not going to get this chapter. So Israel is a site, it's a physical site in northern Israel, and Israel means two things. It means the Valley of Israel, which from the very earliest periods is the breadbasket of, uh, of the land of Israel. It's the, the most agriculturally fertile area of the country where grain can be grown. It's the Saskatchewan of Israel, if you understand that. Uh, and um, more right, and equally importantly, it's also a city. There is a site called Yisrael, uh, which is at the west, eastern end of the valley, which has been excavated and exposed and then covered over by thorns. Um, it is an important archaeological site, and from it we understand a lot about this chapter. The site of Yisrael is a military headquarters. Right? It was built probably in the period of Achav. It functioned as a military headquarters, which also had a royal residence in it. And this is, this is conclusively shown. Um, it was used for chariot practice, um, and it was also used as a way of gathering your troops, equipping them, and sending them out to battle in Aram. So it's the, sort of the Fort Dix of uh, Malchut Yisrael. So at the same time, Israel is the Saskatchewan, and Israel is the Fort Dix. And it's important to understand that these are geographical metaphors and not just historical ones. Because one thing that happened, as you pointed out, 
in Israel is the story of Navot. Navot is an innocent man who was killed by Achav, the, the sort of the original evil king of Israel, who wanted to take control of his land and build in it a, and, and, and take control of it for purposes of uh, growing a vegetable garden. What else happens in Israel? Who else's blood is spilled in Israel? Yehu spills blood in Israel. Yehu spills the blood of the family of Achav in Israel in Kamiapens for Navot. So Israel, Israel is a multi-stage historical symbol which has a single geographical, which has a single, which has at least one geographical location, the uh, the city. Uh, but it also functions as a multi-level historical reference. It's the blood of Navot and it's the blood of the whole house of Achav. But who spilled the blood of the house of Achav? No. Right. And what we're told here is that Achav killed Navot, Yehu killed the house of Achav, and who ultimately is guilty here, who will bear the sin of, of what happened in Israel? Right, Yehu. In other words, we've had a multi-stage king taking control and victimizing a previous individual. Achav victimized Navot, Yehu victimized the house of Achav. That is being condemned here. The day will come when I will visit the blood of Israel on the house of Yehu. That whole series of blood guilt will be visited upon the house of Yehu. Why was what Yehu did wrong? And this is also a central issue you have to understand in order to get Hosea. Why was what Yehu did wrong? What did Yehu do? He killed, he killed the house of Achav. Why did he do it according to Sefer Malachim? Elisha prophecies and sends, right, Elisha sends someone to appoint him and he goes and prophecies and it's sort of like the French Revolution. The blood spills. Who does he kill? He kills, uh, he kills the son of Achav. He kills the, the king, kills Izebel. He throws her out the window. He defenestrates her, my favorite word. Um, he defenestrates her and throws her into the moat. The moat is still there. You can fall into it, but you probably won't find her bones still. Um, I've fallen into the moat in Israel. It's, it surrounds the field and it's grown over by thorns. Um, he, right, and he kills all the priests of Avodazar. He runs a, a massive, massive slaughter. Nevertheless, Hosea condemns him for doing this. Why? Ah, so one answer, and I think it's partially, it's partially correct, is that Yehu is guilty because he eventually falls into the trap of worshipping idol, idols. There's something else going on here also, which I think has to be understood in order to get the second parak of Hosea. Yehu doesn't act alone. There is one pasuk in Sefer Malachim Aleph that speaks about Yehu. Right, I've taken my intro class, I'm going to try to get to this. Right, we don't know the, the pasuk in Malachim Aleph that speaks about Yehu. That was when Hashem told him to, that Chazayel will kill Yehu. Yes, Yefet. Chazayel will kill Yehu. That's right, Yefet, Yefet. The end of Malachim Aleph, Perak Yutet. And I didn't put it down, I didn't want to get distracted from the main text, but you can make a note of it. Malachim Aleph, Perak Yutet. Eliyahu, at the, towards the end of the chapter, Eliyahu was told, when Eliyahu submits his resignation to God, his successor is Elisha, but he's told at the same time that Elisha and Hazael and Yehu will cooperate in extirpating idolatry from Israel. Elisha, I understand. He's a prophet. It's his job to extirpate idolatry. Yehu, I understand. It's his job as king of Israel to extirpate idolatry. What is the role of Hazael in that triad? Hazael is the king of Aram. Why would the king of Aram have to extirpate idolatry? 
Right, so that's sort of the, the, the $64,000 question there, and the an there is an answer to it, and the answer is published in a, uh, an article in the Bulletin of the American Schools of Oriental Research by a, a Christian scholar named William Schneidwind, who shows, and he, I think he's absolutely right here, that Chazael colludes with Yehu. Yehu doesn't act alone, he is acting on an alliance with the new king of Aram. Uh, I'm not going to go into all the historical details now because I'm not going to get to Hosea if I do that. But Chazael is not a pure, is not acting solely out of pure motivations. He is helped by Yehu. He is, excuse me, he, uh, Yehu is not acting out of pure motivations. He's helped by the king of Aram. And so here we see a different image of Yehu. He's not just a religious revolutionary who's acting out of pure motives. He's also a political schemer and intriguer who is acting together with another political schemer and intriguer to take over a kingdom. And there's a negative evaluation of Yehu, which we have in Malachim Aleph, which we can see potential for in Malachim Aleph, which is explicit here. Yehu is guilty. Why? Partly because he didn't, he didn't extirpate idolatry, but also because he colluded with a non, someone whose motivations were equally corrupt, the king of Aram. And you see this in Hosea, because if you look at Pasukei, what is the promise that's given on the day when uh, when God will punish Yehu? What will happen on that day? Please look at Pasukei. Perak Aleph Pasukei. Ve'ayabayomahu v'shavarti et keshet Yisrael be'emek Yisrael. What is keshet Yisrael? Literally, what is keshet Yisrael? The bow. What is a bow always a symbol of in Tanakh? Strength, power, right. The military of strength of Israel will be broken here. So Yehu, who came to power in a military coup, will have his strength broken. And this is a positive prophecy, as we'll see. It is positive for Yehu's strength to be broken. It is positive for the power of the kingdom of Israel to be broken. The kingdom of Israel is drunk on its own power and needs to be defanged and disempowered. And we'll see why that has to happen. All right, we've spent a lot of time on the first half of the parak. I want to spend a little bit of time on the rest of it. Um, in Pasuk Vav, the next trial is called Lo Ruchama. And what is the meaning of Lo Ruchama? No mercy. no mercy or no love. Lo Rachem in Aramaic is to love. And Hosea's Hebrew is influenced by Aramaic. I will no longer love the house of Israel. In contrast, I will love the house of Judah. And how will God save Judah? And how will God not save Judah in Perak Zion? How will, this is, this is, I, I think this is part of the fabric of this chapter. How will God save Judah and how will God not save Judah? I don't think it's a reference to something. It says, I will not save Yehuda with military power. In other words, military power is not going to help you here. So we start from Yisrael, which was a breadbasket which became a Fort Dix. Then we go on to Loruchama, where you're told, I will not have mercy, I will not love Yisrael, but Yehuda I will love, because, but I won't love, even when I love, I won't love with military power. And then at the end, Loami. Who is Loami? Look at who is not Loami. Loami, now what is Loami based on? What word is missing in the Pasuk? There's a word at the end that's missing, the end of Pasuk Tet. It's, right. The standard formula, 
Right, you see it in the beginning of Bayera, and you see it all through all of all of Chumash, and it's picked up in Yirmiyahu. It's, it's a very common formula, the covenant formula. The covenant formula here is vitiated, but it's not. It's like you write a divorce document, but you don't actually take it to court, right? You don't say that last word in the divorce. So there is a break from Yisrael. There's a break between God and Israel, but it's not a full break. So let's look again at the, at the three children here. Israel, the geographic symbol, the fort, the, milita- the breadbasket that became the military capital, that is now being where the blood and the guilt of the kingdom of Israel is going to be reversed. Second of all, the daughter, Lo Ruchama, who is rejected while God says, even if I loved you, it wouldn't be with military power. And then, Lo Ami, where there's a cut in the relationship, but not a full cut. How does this play out in Perak? Perak Aleph sets up the problems in the relationship. Essentially, the problems in the relationship are you have Yisrael, you have a military center, you need love, you need to be loved, you need to be Ruchama without military power, and your infatuation with military power is endangering your status, and you might become Lo'ami, you might break your bond with God. Yes. Yes. Time of year of Am, who's a great grandson of Yehu. Great grandson of Yehu. Yes. And this man, his name was called a missionary, a prostitute. Right. And that he's going to have these children, and he should name them Correct. And it's all of this, God is punishing this man for causing the nation of Okay, so the, right, so the, the, right, so I, maybe should have made this more explicit. The, um, event, the, I'm taking here the Rambam's attitude towards Hosea. Hosea does not marry a prostitute. Hosea does not have children, have prostitutional children. Uh, this is a vision which Hosea is given, which is all a, a parable. It's a parable for the sins of Israel. It does not act, Hosea does not, Hosea does not actually marry a prostitute. Right? That's the Rambam's position. The others attack him, but I think that's the simple reading of this chapter. Right? That, that, that we're not concerned with whether Hosea, what, what kind of relationship Hosea had. We're concerned with the parable here, which is the parable of Zanot Arif. The land has acted disloyally. We have to understand how the land has acted disloyally. And we see in the beginning of Perak that the beginning of the reversal of the disloyalty of the land. Again, the problems are an infatuation with military power, as we saw Yisrael and the blood guilt of Yisrael going back to the kings. That leads to a disconnect. That leads to God saying, I, my love for you is contingent on you're not having military power. And if you continue this way, you'll be Lami. Perk Bet, Sukim Aleph Bet, Gimel. This problem begins to be reversed. What allusions to earlier periods do you see in Pasukalif? What allusions to periods before the kingdom do you see in Pasukalif? This isn't no. before the kingdom of Israel. What allusions to, to earlier periods do you see here? Right. So clearly a reference to the promise to the promises of Avinu. We are going back to the periods. You don't think so? Okay. You're right. It's the Jacob. Um, and it appears in the Shlomo stories also, 
but you are, we are going back to the periods, to, to earlier periods, and we see that even more strongly in Pasuk Bet. If you look at Pasuk Bet, where are the Jews going in Pasuk Bet? What three, what two elements are reversed and where do they go? I'm sorry? Right, they're going out to the desert, but where, what two elements of the current political status of the Jews are reversed in Pasuk Bet? Right, they're going to be united. First of all, there's no longer a divided kingdom. Vesamulahim Rosh Echad is very important. What does Rosh Echad mean? No. A Rosh is not a king. If you look through Sefer Shoftim, that's where you find a Rosh. Right, they say that Yiftach Hatati Elanul Rosh. Rosh is a non-dynastic leader. Rosh is not a king. Um, and so it's an, an undoing of the monarchy, a reuniting of the people under a non-dynastic leader. The Aluminarit's pshat is I will leave the land. The same as you have in Shmuel Perak Aleph, but I think it's an allusion to Shmuel Perak Aleph, they will leave the land. Right? Yom Yisrael. Yom Yisrael, Yom plus geographic location in Tanakh means what? That formula appears several other times. What does Yom Yerushalayim mean in Tanakh? I, I know it's disturbing. What does it mean? Yeah, but of what? Zechor Hashem Livnei Edom Et. Destruction, that's right. Yom plus, the name of a place, is always the day of destruction. The day in which Israel will be destroyed is a great day. The Jews are going to leave the land. This is bizarre, right? Why, do the, why is Israel, the destruction of Israel, such a great day? What was, what's the problem with Israel? What is Israel? Remember back to... It's a fortress, a symbol of military power. The destruction of military power is the beginning of the re-establishment of the relationship between God and Israel. Right. At the end of this week, I think I'm a hippie, but I'm really not. Uh, and not that Oshea is either, but there's a problem here that has to be addressed. Right. The destruction of the military power has to, has to happen. That is the day when the Jews will leave the land. Why are they leaving the land? Now we, we look at the coming, the coming passages and we begin to see why they're leaving the land. Pasuk Gimel, you see two names being reversed. Which are the re- which are the names that are being fixed in Pasuk Gimel? Ami instead of Lo Ami and Ruchama instead of Lo Ruchama. Which name hasn't been changed? Israel. Right. How does Israel change? Notice here, Israel doesn't change. How is Israel going to change? That's the challenge of this chapter. How do you fix a military fortress? Ah, how do you fix a military fortress? Destroy it, but that's not enough. You'll see in a minute that that's, that, that negative. But it's not enough, Surah Meira. You also have to set tov. You have to replace it with something positive, and we'll see what happens. Can I ask you something? Yes. I understand that um, that area over there had bloodshed, and the land has blood in it. But what's wrong with a military fortress, really? It's a good question. Hold the question. I think that throughout the chapter, Hoshea will address that issue. If he doesn't raise it at the end, but it's an important. It's a very important question. What's wrong with the military fortress? Um, all right, let's go on. If you look at Psukim Dalad Hay, what is being taken away from the woman here who symbolizes the people of Israel? Right, this woman is the mother of Israel and Lo Ami and Lo Ruchama. She is the mother of the nation in the symbolic sense. What is wrong with her? 
What is being taken away from her? Right. And then she will remove her zinuneha, her acting as a harlot, her disloyalty. And what is the threat? If she does, if she, if she, if she because of what am I going to take away from her? I'll take away her clothes. But I'll make her naked like the uh, like the desert. And I'll take away all her clothes. And I'll take away her her sources of, of liquid. At the end of the, of the verse. Why? In Pasuk Zayin, that taking away of the clothes and of the food and of the liquid is explained. Look at Pasuk Zayin. Why does the wo- woman deserve to lose her clothes and her, her food sources and her liquid sources? She said that doesn't say about Azara. What does it say? Those who love me, I will go after my lovers who give me food, clothing, and uh, and liquid. Who are the lovers here? Right. So there's the lovers here. I think has like everything else, almost everything else in Oshaya, has a double symbolism. On the one hand, it does mean Avodazara. The attribution of um, of uh, fertility to the idol is a very, very common aspect of religion, popular religion, in the period of Bait Rishon. Um, the common of Orozara is the fertility cult, Baal and Asherah, under various names. Baal can also be called, text of Baal is called El, text of Baal is called Yudke Vavke. Call Baal, hold on for a second. Call Baal whatever you want. Uh, the idea that it's one of many fertility gods and has a wife. That's one aspect of Israel's disloyalty. But the other aspect is, I think, also, and we see this in the continuation, the attribution of food, water, and clothing to the military alliances that Israel has with Aram and with other kingdoms. And both of those have to be eliminated in order to restore Israel's pristine relationship, pristine and monogamous or, uh, relationship with God. Yeah. Right. It's, Israel has to have uh, mo- mo- not the opposite of monogamous, which is no uh, one, one, one husband. Monogamous. Okay, fine. Monogamous and one wife. Monogamous. That's right. Address. All right. Is, uh, to restore Israel's relationship with God, where there's only one, uh, where, where Israel has only one husband, that has to be restored. And the problem is that Israel says El and attributes the giving of these uh, food, water, and clothing to these lovers. Look at Pasukhet. I will make Israel lost in the desert with thorns and with uh, and with. Uh, fences, then she'll run after um, her lovers, she won't find them, and she'll say, well, I'll go back to my first husband out of desperation. Is that what God wants, for Israel to return to God out of desperation? No. Um, still, at this stage, Israel hasn't yet known that God, in this point, Israel hasn't yet got, known that God has given her um, food, water, and clothing. Well, here we have focus on food, water. Therefore, God says in Pasuk Yud Aleph, 
I will take away all the food. And I will and I will strip her naked in the eyes of all her lovers, and I will destroy her happy times in Gimel, and I will destroy her, her viticulture and her fruit culture, because she says they are a gift to me from my lovers. And Pasuk Tetvav, I will remember upon her, again the language of Perak Aleph, I will remember upon her the days when she worshipped Baals, and she offered to them, and she forgot me. So Israel is being deprived of all its food, water, and liquid, food, food water, and clothing. It's being forced to acknowledge that God is taking this away. And then, and only then, can a new marriage take place. And that marriage begins in Pasuk Tetzayim. And the language of the marriage is, that is very, very romantic. Right, what is the fatot? What is the Daber Alev? Right, the Daber Alev you have in the story of, of Shechem and Dina. What does the Daber Alev mean? But it means to seduce, right? I will, and then here God is speaking to Israel. I will seduce Israel. I will seduce her. But where am I going to seduce her? Where? Where is this location of the seduction? In the midbar. Why is it so important that she that she be seduced in the midbar? For two reasons. Two related reasons. Yeah. Right. It's the idea of, of the whole point of Hosea is we're reversing the history of the monarchic period. The monarchic period has led to corruption. We want to go back to the patriarchal period, the period of full Hayam Shalayimadlai affair. We're going to go back to Shoftim, the period of Rosh Echad. We're going to go back to the united monarchy of the Nikbetsu B'nei Yisrael B'nei Yudayachtav. And we're going back to the Midbar, the original period of, of Matan Torah and of uh, we want to go back to the period of the covenant. But what else is there not in the desert? What is a- hold on, I'll take a picture. I promise in one second. What else is absent? What else is absent in the desert? Right. The, the, the food, water, and clothing. Precisely those, those objects that Israel attributes to Me'ahavai, which I think is both foreign alliances and idolatry. All those elements are absent in the desert. There's no food, there's no water, there's no clothing. Then God can seduce Israel, which later Navi picks up on this theme and, and makes it into a very nice wedding song. Then you walk down the aisle. Yeah, where? I think Yirmiyahu is in some ways picking up on this, although I'm not completely clear on the relationship between them. Okay, yes. Uh, any questions up to now? This is the nice part of the parak. I went through the bad part quickly. So from the desert, from there, I will give her Kramim. Why is it important that the... Why, what does the karam symbolize more than any other type of those? I think... Have we had karamim in this chapter until now? Geffen, we haven't had the language of karam. What's a karam? Yeshaya Perkei. What's a karam? I know it's a vineyard. But what does is, what, what is a karam symbolize? In a, in, in, think, think, think as a farmer. 
it's the land of the people, but it's the long-term commitment to a land. No one plants a vineyard if you're going to be around for a year or two. A vineyard is a long-term proposition, which you have to invest many years of work before you get fruit. And it's something that people develop a personal relationship with. Right? Who's the most famous person who has a personal relationship with Karim Navot? A Karim is a sort of, it's, a, a, it's like the Kifsata Isharash. It's an agricultural object, which is, becomes a subject for the owner. Um, people sing about their karam, people love their karam. It's not a wheat field. Wheat field is an instrument. A karam is more personal. And God says, I will give you Kramim from there. What is Emek Achor? When did Israel go through Emek Achor? Emek Achor is Yahshua. Right? They go through Emek Achor when they enter the land. It's the place of Israel's first disloyalty to God. It's the first place where they uh, steal from the Kharam. And what will the Emek Achor become here? This gateway to the land that was a gateway to sin, what will it become? Which means by the opening of a new of a new relationship. In other words, despite the fact that God has destroyed Israel's wealth and taken away its, its, well, its, its food, its water, and its clothing, and destroyed the military fortresses, this is a Petach Tikva. This is an opening for hope for a new relationship. What does ve'anta mean? One of the most difficult words in this parak. It means a lot of things. Right, so a lot of people understand, I think, I think that here it's correct. People understand it on the basis of la'anot uh, b'shir, to break forth in song, Semitic language parallels. And Israel will sing there, like the days of her youth and the day when she uh, came out from the land of Egypt, it makes sense because a kerem is associated with singing. And it's also associated with the idea of the, the singing um, that's associated with a marriage, like the beginning of a marital relationship. And where do you see the marital relationship closed? You will call me my, right, you will call me my man. In other words, the, the, again, the mono-androus mono relationship, Israel will have only one husband. And what does it mean to take away the names of the Baalim? Look at Pasuk Yudchet. Pasuk Yudchet. Right. We'll remove the names of the, of the Baali. So we have here the beginning of the repaired relationship where Israel, having lost all its material possessions, declares loyalty to God. Upon this loyalty being declared, what's the next stage? Pasukaf, the breach of protection. When Israel will declare its loyalty to God, God will give them a covenant. And what is the content of the covenant in Pasukaf? What is the content of the covenant? God is running a protection racket. But if you are loyal to me, I will protect you against all these objects which no military force can protect you against. The, no army operates against vultures. Uh, I will protect you against all those things. And as part of my covenant, what am I going to do? Look at the end of Pasukkaf. The end of Pasukkaf. I'm not going to conquer. What's I going to do at the end of Pasukkaf? Why? Why are they going to have security? Where, for, me, me now, wh- where does the bitachon come from? I'm sorry? 
that, that's right, the break. It was the destruction of the military uh, equipment here, which we saw in Perak Aleph, associated with, uh, with Israel, is he, and with Lower Chama, is here being um, constituted as part of the breach. You have, as part of the, what God promises you, He's going to protect you and He's going to smash all your military equipment. Bishkaftim Laveta, for fulfillment of the covenant promise in Vayikra. The promised covenant here is a breach together with the destruction of military power. Why, someone asked before, why is this so critical to destroy military power? Because of the idea of reliance. The, Israel has become reliant on military power for its protection, and it no longer relies on God. Um, and what you, I mean, there was a joke, someone, someone quite old told me in the 70s that there was a joke at one point in Israel of, um, Bitochon hobemil, bitachon hobemil nisht. As always in my classes, you can understand Yiddish, I need to get it. Uh, but bitochon is the idea of faith in God that we have. Bitachon hobemil nisht, defense equipment we don't have. But the problem in Hosea is the reverse, that they have defense equipment, but they don't have reliance in God. Hosea is trying to reverse that. And to reach a stage of bitochon hobemil, bitachon hobemil nisht. And that's exactly Pasukav. Of we have reliance on God, we don't have military equipment. And what does that finally lead to, that reliance on God? Pasukafal of Kafbet? The marriage. Right. Here's the marriage. Right, so instead of the almost divorce at the end of Perak Bet, so to that, instead of the almost divorce at the end of Perak Aleph, where we had, Kiatem lo amid anochi lo yelachem, and not saying the last word, not saying lo yelachem elokim. At the end of Perak, in, in Perak Bet, Pastor Kafal of Kafbet, you have the idea of the marriage being resuscitated. How do you resuscitate a marriage? Take them out to the desert, you eliminate all the sources of um, distraction, all the idolatry and the foreign alliances, and then, so Israel is now Ruhamah, it's loved by God, it's now Ami, it's God's people. What hasn't been reversed yet? Israel. And that's the topic of the last three psukim. Please pay attention to the last three psukim. Now remember, who was the initial sinner? Who was the uh, who, who committed the act of harlotry in the very first, uh, first psukim of Paragalif? Haaretz. And now we have to make the land, the land has been disloyal, and we have to... I'm going to coin the word, re-loyalize the land. How does that happen? In right. What does E'ene mean here? This is very difficult. But what does E'ene mean here? The Ibn Ezra says, to cause something to happen, to produce something. And I think that that's contextually the best interpretation, even though it's philologically difficult. Um, I will cause, God says, I will cause the sky to produce, and they will cause the land to produce. In other words, what is God acting as here? Right, and who is the well-known rainmaker of the ancient Near East, the Barak Israel's Baal? And God is taking over that role. And who, who do you go to if you want wealth? Not enough for you to have just, just grain and, and grain, but you also want wealth. Where would you go? What would you do? Create a military alliance. We, God has already destroyed the military alliances, and now he's taking the role of the rainmaker. 
והארץ תענה את הדגן ואת התירוש ואת היצהר. The land will produce דגן, תירוש ויצהר. The land will produce grain, wine and oil. והם יענו את ישראל. And they will produce Israel. Wait a second. What does it mean they will produce Israel? What happened to Israel? It was destroyed. The fortress of Israel was destroyed. But what else is Israel besides a fortress, remember? It's right. It's the, gra- it's, the, it's the granary of Israel. It's the most productive. It's the valley where the most productive grain farming can be done. And so the geographical symbol of the fortress has been eliminated and is being replaced by the... The agricultural breadbasket, which and who is the producer of the agricultural breadbasket? Right. And I will plant Israel in the land. Right, this idea of God planting Israel, where is where what what creates Israel's security in the land? I will plant Israel in the land. I will love the unloved child. Why will Israel be unloved? Remember, a child, in the last parak of Hashayi addresses this. A nation that has no alliances is an unloved nation. Right? It's, a, it's an orphan nation. It's a nation that's not allied with anyone. And how does Ami respond? How does the people of Israel respond? Elokai, you are my God. Again, the reestablishment of that mono relationship. I think it's a very, very beautiful parrot. Um, I think the geographic dimension is key here, uh, with the idea of Saskatchewan, the the, uh, the breadbasket, the uh, Israel replacing um, the military fortress. I think it's a chapter that says a lot, not only about God's relationship with the Jewish people, but also about husband-wife relationships, although I'm going to leave that without explicit statement. You can figure out what the, what the point is here on your own. Um, and if you aren't yet married, then you should think about it a little bit. Um, and um, I'll, take, I'll take questions for a moment, but if there aren't going to be any questions, I want to speak a little bit about Bikurim for a minute or two, because I think this, this paragraph really hangs on the idea of Bikurim. Yes, let's take questions first. I did, although it, right. a polemicist could take this parak and say it relates to the modern situation in Israel. You're welcome to do that if you believe in that, but don't do it because Hoshea said so. Do it, no, let it stand on its own. It I, am not, I am not delivering a, a homily on the political situation in Israel uh, by any means. Um, Hoshea is speaking about a particular circumstance in a particular time. If you feel that the circumstances are similar, then you can apply the message. If the circumstances are different, then don't. I'm not at all convinced that they're similar. Uh, I think the message is valuable in and of itself, and that by understanding the political circumstances, one can better understand the message. Um, then you figure out what's the correlation to political circumstances. I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to sort of... I, I'm not in favor of blowing up till north. Could this be a prophecy on the, uh, the, the alliance that never happened between Ritsin and the Pekka Ben-Amaliyahu? 
Right, so most of the academic literature connects it to the events of uh, the Syria for my crisis of 737. I don't think that's necessary. Right, I, I, uh, I recognize that that's the general direction of academia. I don't think that we have to see this parak as quite so late. Right, there's no mention in this parak of the issue of the, of the issue of the Assyrians. Uh, later in Oshea, yes. Yeah, yeah. Ritzin, Ritzin and and Pekach is are, are acting under Assyrian pressure. Yes, they're acting under Assyrian pressure. Ritzin and, and Pekach are related to the Assyrians. I don't see any mention of that here. I recognize that the majority of the academic world is against me. Say it. Uh, That's right. So is, this not, that, is there something more to this grid that wasn't in existence from the prior grid than he did with us? I mean, to some extent, yes, because you say the grid lasts. Right. Who says the grid lasts? Who says that God doesn't break it, that doesn't say, I've had enough with you? Who says that God can't divorce us? Well, okay, fine. Say it, but the local Kachbarur, I think, to, to the Jews of living in Hatan Voshe, that God can't divorce us. But it says uh, that Hazinu, that Hashem is going to um, make times when we will feel that he's not there, but he will always be our God. There's an important article by Kasuto on the relationship between Hazinu and Hoshea. I think it's very valuable, and there's a, lo- there's a lot to be said on that. Uh, but I think that the people need to be, that issue needs to be engaged the people. This can't God divorce us? And Hoshea says, God goes till the step of filing the divorce and then stops. Anochi lo ayelachem, and the last word is missing. So what I'm saying, is there anything extra in this grid? So f- first of all, the very fact that they almost broke it off, and they didn't, strengthens the breed. Second of all, they now, having gone through a crisis, understand how to re- rehabilitate their marriage, right, by going out to the desert, by abandoning reliance on other things. And, go- and that very idea of going, going through a crisis and surviving a crisis Creates a the a greater certainty and firmness for the for going forward. It also shows that it's similar like to a tikkun, which is doing the whole thing. It's a tikkun of everything they did wrong. That's right. That's right. It's a stage by stage tikkun. Yes. Okay. I want to give a chance to people who haven't spoken up yet. So we'll go from the back and then yes, please. I think you're referring to this, but I didn't catch the answer. Why does it not say Lo Yisrael? Because Yisrael is is a is a geographic symbol and not a statement of fact. And a geographic symbol can carry many symbol- symbolisms, can carry many valences. It can be this geographic symbol of Israel can be the military fortress, but it can also be the breadbasket. And God is saying, I'm going to eliminate the military fortress and reestablish it as the breadbasket. That's the reversal of Israel. A military, uh, and it's important to understand the geographic element here. He's working with geography. He's not working just with history. He's not working just with law. Uh, again, for the no, I don't. I have just the prakim handed out. Um, I am writing an article on this, and I hope that it will appear in the relatively near future, and uh, and it'll be available. I can, I suppose, post it on. I feel like I know afterwards. I can send you a copy if you're interested. It hasn't been published yet. It hasn't been accepted yet. Um, Okay. Um, are there other people who haven't spoken up yet who want? Uh... Yeah, please. Um, I'm wondering what the significance of 
I mean, I don't think Hoshea is so naive as to think that um, people can function without a leader, but he, he's inducing the term Rosh, which is a pre-monarchic leader. Again, Rosh in, in, in the Yiftach story. That's as much as I can get out of it. So that's an important question, which again, uh, there's a lot to say about Hoshea. It has to be addressed within the context of the rest of Hoshea. Does Hoshea think that monarchy is inherently a bad thing? I, I don't think that Hoshea necessarily thinks monarchy is a bad thing. He thinks the way it's implemented is bad. Um, and here he sees the first stage of this reversal. In order to get rid of all the problems, that you need to cut yourself off from um, from being in the land from and from the and from the monarchy and go back to Rosh Echad. At a later stage, once you fix the problems, can you go back to a monarchy in a better way, possibly? Okay, uh, I'll take uh, take two more qu- two more questions and then we'll we'll close. Yeah. Okay, so here's my answer, which is very, which is not my answer is going to satisfy you, but my answer is Hoshea is a navi. He carries God's word. The nevuah is a symbol of the status of Israel. He's never actually told to marry a zona in a physical sense. It's a it's a it's a mashal. He's given a mashal, and he understands that it's a mashal, and he's speaking, and, and that mashal allows him to bring forth this beautiful nevuah. It's a powerful I think that's also true. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yes? Now, understanding that it's a novel in fiction, a recently published Steinberg novel yeah. about Hoshea. I knew someone was going to ask me this today. But he's, he's, he's speaking about the newly published Steinberg novel about Hoshea. Uh, thank you, uh, Judith, for warning me. It's always going to ask that. I haven't read the novel. I know nothing about it. Well, you don't need that. But, but, but he, he, he draws a relationship, a very interesting relationship between Hoshea and Amos. Yeah. In the fact that it was Amos who was a great influence on Hoshea. Is there any foundation in reality for that? I've never found any influence at Am- from, uh, from Amos to Hoshea. It doesn't mean there isn't any. But, I mean, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. All right. Um, thank you very much to everyone. And uh, have a very successful rest of your day. Well, after this, we have the Nouveau, and we're privileged to have the Nouveau, and we learn it, and we have a Yom Yom. What you were going to say about Bikurim? Oh, uh, Bikurim is the idealized entry into the land, and Oshea is a reenactment of what should be the idealized entry. Yes,